Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Have you ever driven along the coastline or walked by a local pond or lake and thought about taking a dip, but felt hesitant about swimming in what you know is cold water? My guest today, who argues that cold water swimming is one of the very best things you can do for your mental and physical health, will inspire you to finally take the plunge. His name is Dr. Mark Harper. He's an anesthesiologist and the author of Chill, The Cold Water Swim Cure. We begin our conversation with how Mark's research into the prevention of hypothermia during surgery led him to investigate the benefits of cold water exposure in managing the body's overall stress response. We discuss the effect cold water has on the body and the potential mental and physical benefits this effect can have from reducing inflammation to reducing depression caused by inflammation to improving conditions from diabetes to migraines. We get into how long you need to be in the water to get these benefits and the temperature the water needs to be, which may not be as cold as you think and potentially makes, depending on where you live, cold water swimming viable as a year-round practice. Mark also explains how to get started with cold water swimming and do it safely and effectively, including why you should start out in the summer and how to best prepare your body before you get in the water and how to recover after you get out. We end our conversation with whether or not you can get the same benefits of cold water swimming from taking an ice bath or cold shower. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash cold swim. Mark Harper, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's a great privilege to be here. Yeah, I've uh, followed the art of manliness since uh, I came across your roadmap to manhood in 2014. It's been a, been a great inspiration for me. Okay, so that's a, that's a big blast from the past. Uh, that was a really long article that we wrote. So thanks for reading that. And also thanks for listening to the podcast all these years. I, I really appreciate that. I'm excited to have you on the podcast today. You uh, are an anesthesiologist, but you've written a book called Chill. The Cold Water Swim Cure. How did you get started with cold water swimming? Really, it was by accident. I mean, I've always swum in a swimming pool, thanks to my mum, who used to drag me along as a reluctant teenager. But ever since then, I've swum maybe three, four times a week in the swimming pool, training with the club. But one summer, I moved back to Brighton in my mid-30s, and the pool closed for two weeks. And I was complaining about this to a friend that I'd known since my those teenage days. And he said, ah, oh, go, go and join the sea swimming section. I didn't even know the club had a sea swimming section. And so I thought, oh, I'll just go have a quick swim around the pier and do that for two weeks. And I went around the pier. I had a nice time. And nearly 20 years later, I'm still swimming around the pier in Brighton and, and wherever I can get my cold water fix. So you started off doing this just as recreation, something to do because you enjoyed it. It's good for your health. You enjoyed the people. But then you started making these connections that maybe there were some real health benefits to swimming outside in cold water. When did you start making those connections? Well, in a way, it was that that first swim that gave me an inkling, but I was only kind of to know that later because I remember getting out of the water, yeah, having just gone for a swim and walking up the beach thinking... God, yeah, I feel really good. Yeah, it's something I just didn't expect. And that was what kept me going back for more. And that's why I continue to do it to this day. But the other thing that got me into it was my research at the time. So my PhD is in something called the prevention of perioperative hypothermia. Basically, what this means is when you have an operation, if you get cold, it's bad for you. And in fact, this is a really important point because hypothermia is bad for you at any time. Exposing yourself to cold, what I'm going to talk about today, is potentially very good for you. But if you stay in the water too long and you become cold, that's actually bad for you. So 
I was researching this. And the, the thing is, when you have an operation, you have a, a real stress response. You may not feel it because you have a, an anesthesiologist like myself stopping you from feeling that pain, but it generates a stress response in the body. And if you get cold, it increases that stress response. So around this time, I started reading articles about the effect of cold water on the body. And these effects, this, this was a stress response as well. And this stress response was exactly the same as the stress response you get to surgery. And then more than that, I started reading about how you can adapt to cold. And if you adapt to cold, it reduces that stress response. And that reduction in the stress response would potentially reduce the complications following surgery. Okay. So, so you were, this is a connection to your work. You thought, okay, as an anesthesiologist, one of our jobs is to keep people warm during surgery because their body temperature goes down. So that's why you have like a warm blanket put over you. You had a hunch that maybe if we can help the body adapt to cold, it will improve surgery outcomes after general anesthesia. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And there's a more general thing, not just in your response to cold, but in your response to the whole stress of surgery. Gotcha. Okay, so this is this is basically you thought that cold water exposure through cold water swimming could help develop the overall stress response of the body. Not only the stress of you know being under anesthesiology, but also the stresses of just everyday life as well. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's how things progressed. Yeah, it, I began to think. Well, Joe, it was when I read an article. A few years later, you know, I've done quite a lot of work on on operation, you know, preventing hypothermia during operations. And a few years later, I came across an article which in the newspaper, it wasn't a, a medical article by any means, about how inflammation had been linked to depression. Now, one of the main things, like that we need inflammation, it's, it's the body's response to infection, to injury. It's really important. But like everything, you can have too much of a good thing. And if you have an overactive stress response, you have an overactive inflammatory response. And it becomes bad stress or bad inflammation rather than good or physiological inflammation. And linking it to depression, and I thought, well, I know that if you adapt to cold water, your levels of inflammation go down. That's one of the reasons it's good for you and potentially good for patients having surgery. So. And I also knew how good I felt when I came out of the water without having depression. So I began to wonder, well, maybe then we could use cold water swimming to treat depression. We're going to talk about that today and how it could possibly treat depression. But so like, let's talk about like, what do you think is going on about being exposed to cold water that has these, you know, again, as you said, being cold usually isn't good. That's something we think of as a, a stressor to the body. But you're saying that, okay, you can, within small doses, it can actually help you become more resilient to different types of stressors. So like, what is going on? What is, when you expose yourself to cold, what's going on in your body that allows you to overcome or be resilient to acute or chronic stress? So what goes on, as I said, you get a stress response when you get into water, but if you go in regularly, and by the way, cold water isn't actually that cold. It's anything less than 20 degrees centigrade has a significant physiological effect on the body. So when you get into cold water, you have this stress response. Now, if you do that regularly, and most cold or studies of cold water swimming, they use a 
regime of about six immersions at probably around 15 degrees centigrade. And if you go into this cold six times, you develop an adaptation to cold. And what this means is, so the stress response is generated by the autonomic nervous system. So that's your sympathetic, which is your fight flight, and the parasympathetic, which is your rest and digest. And what getting into cold water several times does is it reduces that sympathetic response to stress. So this means if you're running a high level of stress and consequently usually a high level of inflammation, your baseline goes down. And also those peaks of stress go down. So what you're doing is you're keeping that stress and that inflammation in the good physiological zone rather than the bad pathological zone. Interestingly, on top of this, if you put your face in cold water, you get stimulation of the parasympathetic nervous system. So this is the other side of the autonomic nervous system, which is good. And this actually directly reduces levels of inflammation in the body. And so you're having a kind of a double effect from swimming in cold water in reducing inflammation. So it sounds like what you what's happening is you're when you get into cold water, you're giving your your nervous system and it's like a, it's an it's like a workout for your nervous system in a way. Yeah, completely. You know, you just think about you know, if you go to the gym, you work out hard, you can work out too hard and you you injure yourself. But if you work out just right and you can work out pretty hard without injuring yourself, you become stronger. It's exactly the same principle. And so you mentioned, you threw out some numbers there for how cold the water needs to be. It's 15 degrees Celsius. That's what, like 59 degrees Fahrenheit. And I think 20 is about like 68 degrees Fahrenheit, Yeah, correct? exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's about right. So under about 68, you, you get a really good effect. And they reckon the maximum effect is probably somewhere between, you know, 10 and 15 degrees centigrade. So, you know, what's that? 48 to 58 degrees Fahrenheit, something like that. And what you've done in this book too is, okay, you've, you've made this connection of, to cold exposure to your work as an anesthesiologist about the benefits of it. But you, there's like a, there's a whole history of doctors or thinkers or writers. I mean, you can even say religious people touting the benefits of cold water exposure. How far back do we, of the record do we have that shows like, getting in the cold water outdoors can have benefits? Well, I, mean, I think it goes back as far as medicine goes back. Hippocrates, the father of medicine, as he's known, he wrote a treatise called On Airs, Waters, and Places. And in that, he invokes the power of water. I think for me, the most significant figure is Richard Russell, who was a doctor in my hometown of Brighton on the south coast of England, who in the early 18th century started bringing people to the cold waters of Brighton and, get, and taking them in and using that. And he is credited with starting a craze for sea bathing, which, in fact, the Prince Regent came to stay in his house after he had died and became and you know, really started to enjoy this cold water thing. And that's why Brighton built up from this small fishing village into a a kind of sea bathing metropolis. And he, you know, Richard Russell wrote a treatise on treating the diseases of the glands, including the king's evil, leprosy, scurvy, all kinds of things that I, I wouldn't say it does help. 
And but he he also advocated drinking the seawater, which I also wouldn't uh, wouldn't advocate. But for many years, this was one of the well, probably one of the few effective treatments we had. But come the era of antibiotics and drugs and pharma, it kind of got forgotten. Okay, so these doctors they they knew that they they put people in cold water. They saw that it had benefits. They probably didn't understand why, what was going on in the body. They probably had theories about humors and whatnot, but recent research has really explained like what is going on in our bodies when we expose ourselves to the cold. And you highlight that. And so we talked about these different nervous systems, but I want to talk about like what, besides the, the response that we have in our nervous system, like what else goes on in our body once we jump into that cold water? I mean, what's the first thing that happens? Like, why is it that we have that, we want to gasp for breath, you know, our joints ache. Like sometimes when I get into cold water, I want to pee. Like what's going on in our body? Well, I think the the basis for this is the fact that all the blood vessels to the skin immediately shut down. So your circulation to your skin, which is what we call the peripheral compartment, that closes down and goes straight into, you know, and it's just used it's kept in inside the body so you have kind of more blood going around the main part of the body this expands the heart and expanding the heart releases a hormone called atrial natriuretic peptide which makes you want to pee it, it puts more fluid through the through the kidneys but the effect of just a direct effect on the nervous system causes you to want to hyperventilate take a big gasp when you get into the water you want you hyperventilate i mean it's very much like a panic attack which can be be a bit of a problem but the thing is it's yeah and and this is this is actually the most dangerous part of it so if your head goes straight under you cannot control this but after a few times of doing it you can absolutely control it and that that really helps you okay so yeah we jump in our blood vessels constrict so this is also a workout for our cardiovascular system in a way. Uh, yeah, it is. It's uh, it's absolutely a workout. It's kind of a, in a way, it's an exercise-free workout for the whole whole cardiovascular system because, you know, blood pressure goes up, your heart rate goes up. But all this, all these responses are still there when you adapt to cold water, but they're not as powerful. You mentioned, you know, when you got out of the water that first time you went, did the uh, swim, swim around the pier, you said you just felt great. Like you kind of, like almost euphoric, is there something going on with our brain chemistry that gives us that euphoric feeling? There's there's certainly something going on in the brain, but as to quite what it is, I don't think we really know and we might never know. I mean, the brain is phenomenally complex. You know, it's uh, it does something like a billion billion calculations every second. So for me, you know, there, there are two ways of thinking about it. First is, you know, you get all this adrenaline and noradrenaline going around the body. And that is kind of what cocaine does to you. And yeah, in fact, one of the guys I've done this with, a, a doctor, uh, I mentioned the book, Chris Van Tuviken. One of the things he said to me after I'd started him on the uh, cold water swimming was, he said, if this was a drug, they'd make it illegal. And, and the other thing is that I think it's something in how it resets the brain. Yeah, this is, I can't explain it, but as this, amazing woman, Jill Bolt-Taylor, who has a 25 million times seen TED Talk. And she had a stroke and she had a a stroke. She's a a neuroscientist and she had a stroke where she had a bleed into the left side of the brain. She was aware of this. And she found while she couldn't do everyday tasks, like ring up someone and tell them 
that I'm having a stroke. She didn't care. She just felt at one with the world. And this, her theory is that the left-hand side of our brain gives us our sense of self, our sense of fear, sense of time. Whereas the right-hand side of the brain, that is about empathy and feeling at one with the world. And this is, this is the reset I get when I go into the water. So I can't give you a scientific explanation, but that's absolutely how it feels to me. Okay. You mentioned some hormones that are released. There's that peptide hormone from our heart that causes us to want to go pee. There's adrenaline. Any other hormones that are released when we jump in cold water? It's a, it's a kind of complex reaction, but you get all the stress hormones come in, things like cortisol, and it also affects insulin. Insulin's the main sugar-regulating hormone in the body, and they're really important for many metabolic processes. So when you initially go in, it kind of has a bad effect on insulin. But again, when you've adapted to cold water, that effect on insulin becomes better. And actually your body becomes more sensitive to the effects of insulin, which is a really good thing. And this is why it may be possible to help treat type 2 diabetes, for example. Okay. So when you jump into cold water, the lot's going on physiologically. Blood vessels constrict to keep the heat in our body inside. That's going to help your cardiovascular system. There's this nervous response that can help us respond better to stress. There's hormones that are released. Is there anything that happens? Like, What is it about cold water that can help reduce inflammation? Is there something going on there? Is it just quieting down the inflammatory response? Yeah. So it's it's kind of a a two-pronged attack. So first is that, you know, actually getting into the cold water will lead to some kind of inflammation, but it will keep it in the good zone. So if you do it regularly, it will keep that baseline of inflammation down. So you have a a sort of long-term effect and you also have an immediate effect. And that immediate effect is what you get. It's the diving reflex that when you put your face in the water, it directly stimulates the vagal nerve and that directly reduces inflammation. So the long-term effect lasts a while. So you know, you go in six times, you know, you have 60% of your response left 14 months later, but you can always boost it by going in and getting your face in the water. And that gives you a, an immediate effect. Okay. So you want the water to be about 68 degrees Fahrenheit to maybe 50 degrees Fahrenheit to get the benefits. And there, there's some famous doctor or philosopher said the, you know, the, the dose makes the poison how like how cold is too cold and like how long is too long in the water uh, when it starts causing problems? Well, in my experience, there is, if you're properly prepared, I think there's no too cold. What it is, is too long. And as you say, the, the dose is the thing that the dose is in the timing really. And yeah, I've been in water. Actually, I measured it at minus 0.2 in the sea just as I was getting in once. And and it's fine because I go in warm, I go in prepared. So you know, the thing is not to become hypothermic. So if it's really cold, you're just in for a minute, two minutes, something like that. If it's warmer, you can stay in for a long time. Well, how do you know if you're becoming hypothermic? What are the, the telltale signs? Well, for me, I think the, the best sign is what's called clawing of the hands. And this, this means when you, you know, to, to do a stroke, you, you bring your fingers together to, to do a swimming stroke. 
after a while, when you begin to get cold, you can't really bring your fingers together anymore and it, it becomes difficult. And that's quite a good sign that you're getting too cold, but it's an early sign. So that gives you time to get back to shore and get back in and start getting warm. Any other things? I guess one, one you mentioned is you start, you can't think straight, like you have a hard time talking and keeping your thoughts together. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's when you're kind of going a bit too far. I think that the thing is the fumbles, the mumbles, the tumbles, you know, you basically, you, you, your hands, your coordination goes, your uh, mental coordination goes at that point, you know, someone needs to look after you. All right. So if as soon as you experience those hypothermic symptoms, it's, that's the time to get out of the water. We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. And now back to the show. So you did a, uh, you've done a study surveying cold water swimmers in the UK about the benefits they've gotten from their polar plunges. And this is, you know, you're basically asking people, tell us about your experience. And you've got all sorts of great responses in one area where you saw there was a lot of benefit was helping people with mental health issues like anxiety and depression. Tell us about that story. Like how has, how has cold water swimming helped people with their mental health issues and what do you think is going on there? Well, that came about, you know, about, you know, when I read this article talking about the connection between inflammation and depression and, and you know, maybe if we reduced inflammation, therefore we could treat depression. And so I took this theory to a guy called Mike Tipton. He's a professor of extreme physiology in Portsmouth. And he was the guy who'd been writing all these papers I've been reading on the effects of cold water on the body's physiology. And he said, oh, that's a, that's a really interesting idea. There was no particular way forward at the time. But then a few weeks later, he was contacted by Chris Van Tulliken, TV doctor, who said, oh, I'm doing this program called The Doctor Who Gave Up Drugs. Is there anything we can use cold water swimming for? And he said, well, coincidentally, I've just met someone who thinks they can use it for this. So basically, the BBC found us uh, this wonderful young woman, Sarah, 24 at the time, who was depressed and had been on antidepressants for eight years and just wanted to come up off them because she didn't want her baby daughter growing up seeing her mum take tablets. So we took her down to Mike's lab. We put her through a cold water adaptation program. You know, uh, it was four dips in about 15 degrees centigrade in his special tank. And then the next day we went out for a swim in the lake. She kept up with it afterwards. And, you know, within a few months, she'd stopped taking her medication. And when I spoke to her just a few months ago, and this is, we're talking about five years later, She's still free from medication, still doesn't need the medication, still swimming occasionally, and, and it really helps. So next, we had to do this in real life. So what we did was I, I met this guy, Mike, who is with a Coast Guard and you know, general outdoors person down in, in Devon, in the southwest corner of England. And he said, I'd really like to run these courses for you and we can do some research. So we gathered together in the end about 60 people, all with clinical depression and anxiety, and put them through a basic course. It's eight sessions, eight 30, 45-minute sessions. And that, that includes warming up, having a cup of tea, things like that. And eight sessions in the water in uh, summer, started summer, went into winter. So it was temperatures probably between 58 and 
48 degrees centigrade, uh, Fahrenheit, say, and saw what happened. And the results were, were utterly remarkable. You know, we were getting cure rates, you know, and this is total recovery rates of about 70% for anxiety and the same for depression. I mean, if it was a, a pill, no one would believe that kind of results. No, this inflammation depression connection is really interesting. We've had Charles Rizon, I think is his name on the podcast. He yeah, wrote a, he wrote a book about. I've the, heard that one. That was it was really useful. That that really helped me with my research. If you see what I mean. Yeah, and I, I think his takeaway is there. So when you're in, when you have chronic inflammation, it basically disrupts how the brain responds, and you start acting like a depressive. And so his idea is like, if you can reduce inflammation, you can reduce depressive symptoms. And he found that's the case, but his way was interesting. He used heat. So he used sauna treatments to reduce inflammation. What you're doing is using cold, which is another way to reduce inflammation. Yeah. And it's really interesting because well, I, I heard that podcast and then I went to a conference, which was on uh, thermoregulation. So it was you know, both hot and cold. And a lot of the work from people using saunas and using heat stress, so rather than cold stress, does seem to have very similar effects. I think the advantage of the cold is certainly that it's, you know, certainly for us in the, in the UK and probably in parts of the US, it's just e- more easily accessible. You don't need special equipment for it. You just need some cold water. And one thing you point out in the book and then Charles pointed out in his work as well is that the inflammation depression connection, it's only in some people. Like some people have depression that is caused by inflammation. It's like half and half, basically. So I think the takeaway that he had, I think the takeaway you have too in your book is if you have depression or anxiety and you've tried treating it with, you know, medications or talk therapy and that hasn't really done much for you, you might have depression caused by inflammation. So maybe you just focus on reducing inflammation. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a really valid point. I think the thing about, I mean, the thing to remember about cold water swimming is that it's not just, you know, the effect of the cold on the inflammation is one part of it. But there's so much more to it. You know, if you're going outside, being outside in nature, we know that's good for you. We know views of water are good for you. We know being with other people, you know, one of the important things is to do this with other people. And certainly, you know, when we've been running studies, we've one of the things people have valued most is that having that group dynamic. So there's more to it. And, and of course you're getting exercise. So there is more to it than just the cold and the effect of the cold on the inflammation. But continuing on this this thread of it's the cold's effect on inflammation, you also found that people who had you know inflammatory problems like chronic pain, arthritis, Crohn's disease, these are all problems that are often associated with inflammation. They saw a reduction in symptoms as well. And can you highlight some of those things that you found? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, 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 you summed it up really. So a theory was that, you know, if it, if it has an effect on inflammation, you know, depression is inflammation. So we've, we've been through that, but maybe it'll work on other illnesses. And so we sent out a, a survey to see, you know, were people using it? You know, we wondered, were people using it against these kind of conditions? And the responses came back mapping exactly what we had thought that, you know, type two diabetes, so it's lifestyle illnesses. It's the, the modern lifestyle illnesses is what we're looking at here. 
and it was type two diabetes. And there's, I was a guy I've been swimming with for years in the sea, Rob, who had bad Crohn's disease. And he kind of find out by accident. Yeah. He, he started doing a, uh, a thing for charity and he had to swim in the sea and he noticed that his Crohn's disease had become better. And then also on the course, we had one guy with chronic pain who came along because he was getting really depressed and he just came for the depression part of it, noticed his pain was getting better. And another guy had fibromyalgia. And similarly, he came across, he was more anxious, but he found that his fibromyalgia symptoms got got a whole lot better as a consequence. Well, and so the theory is there, okay, there could be an, 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 like an inflammatory reduction going on um, with some of this stuff. Um, but the, the also, the other theory, again, this is like, it's very speculative. Like there's, this is kind of on the cutting edge of, of research. But another theory that's out there is that idea that uh, cold exposure can somehow reset our nervous system. I mean, I think a lot of times with um, one of the theories of fibromyalgia or chronic pain is that the brain's pain wiring has gone haywire. So you're feeling pain, even though there isn't anything wrong with you, but you just think it's there. And the idea is that somehow the cold helps reset that. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's it. As you say, this is, this is very speculative. But what you get with these conditions are these abnormal circuits and these circuits, and they reinforce, the brain tends to reinforce the circuits. And what the cold does in some way is it resets these circuits. Maybe it just sort of overwhelms the whole thing, overwhelms the whole system, and brings you right into the present moment. Those loops just are broken up and you can start to produce new and less unhealthy circuits. Well, and another area we saw benefits of cold water swimming was reduction in migraines. What do you think is going on there? Uh, again, that's, it's, a, it's a really complicated thing. Migraine is a, is a terrible affliction. And we uh, came across a, a girl, Beth, who is, you know, she was yeah, young in her 20s doing a PhD, but had to give up a PhD because she was having 28 migraines a month. You know, I mean, that's virtually every day. And the WHO suggests that a day with a migraine is like a day being paraplegic. And if she, she wanted to do something in nature and again found by coincidence that it helped the symptoms of her migraines. And, you know, I think... Again, we're being speculative, but I think, again, it's these things that resets the mind. It resets those electronic circuits. And it just takes you out of things and reduces inflammation. So it's it's a complex thing. And you know, a lot of this, you could argue that we should be doing research starting from the bottom up saying, you know, why, why does cold water swimming work? But for me, I think I prefer to start at the top and say, well, does it work? And let's see who it works for. And then we'll get their stories and we can start beginning to work out why it works afterwards. Okay. So it looks like there's, there are benefits to cold water swimming. So someone's listening to this and they think, well, I want to get started with this. I want to, I want to give this a try. How do you find a place to swim in the first place? Um, are there, you found there, like, are there only certain times of the year that you can get the benefits of cold water swimming? Is it like just winter time? No, well, it depends where you live. If you live in Tahiti, you probably don't get much cold water at all. But for most of us in temperate climates, 
you know, really you can get the benefits all year round. And what, in fact, what I recommend doing is you start in the summer, start when it's at its warmest. That's what I did. And then you carry on for as long as you feel, feel good about it and you feel safe. So yeah, it's finding the place. There are lots of, uh, there are more and more wild swim maps and things like this, but essentially the, the golden rule is find a place, find some cold water, whether it's a, a lake, a stream, a bit of the ocean, and but before you go in, make sure you know how you get out because there's the book, this book, the official rules, uh, which was popular in the 80s. And one of the, my favorites from that is Agnes Allen's rule, which is almost anything is easier to get into than out of. And that applies to all of life, in my opinion. And it's particularly true for cold water swimming. And then you know, and the other thing is, you know, take a friend along, you know, always do it with someone else because they can you know, having someone else out there, even if they're not swimming with you, that that increases the safety and will help you get out of any trouble. Oh, and they, I'm sure they can probably tell if you're becoming hypothermic as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's a really important part of it is that they can recognize that kind of thing. Okay, so look for oceans. It can be done all year. I think in the United States, there's lots of little swim holes where the water stays really cold. If you live in mountain areas, the rivers are freezing because it's just the water's coming from snowmelt. So this can be an all-year thing if you want. Let's talk about you want to do in a group for safety, but you also think there's a benefit just from being around people. That's one of the benefits you think of what's going on. It's sort of social medicine. Yeah, totally. I mean, one of the biggest issues with the pandemic, for example, has been the way the increase in social isolation and going and doing this with a group you know, for a start, you're meeting with a group, you're reducing social isolation, but also it's just so much fun. You know, when you, when you go and do it with a group, you have a laugh and, you know, that shared euphoria was really one of the things that came out of our studies. You know, when people get to, you know, comment on how it benefited them, it was that shared laughter and then going and having a cup of hot chocolate or hot tea or hot coffee up together afterwards. So I think there's a lot more to it, that community, rather than just the safety aspect. So you, you're, you found your place. Do you just jump in or do you recommend doing a warm-up before you do get in the water? I think it's really important to be warm before you get in. So essentially, our body is very good at protecting our core organs, yeah, our core. And so, but the outside bit of it, the skin, the muscles, the, the fat there, which is also known as bioprene in the, in the cold swimming community, that is there is kind of a, a heat sink and it's like a, a storage heater. And so if you think, if you go into water when you're cold, you've got nothing in your storage heater. You know, so your core will cool down and your vital organs, which you really need to preserve, will cool down really quickly. But if you go into the water warm and you know you've got that that storage heater totally full you'll be able to stave off that hypothermia a whole lot longer and the other thing i think about going into so one going warm the other thing that is important is certainly before you're used to it is that you go in you just put your body in first because you don't want the signals the conflicting signals from the body which is that sympathetic fight flight response going along with the signals from your face, which is the parasympathetic 
drive. And also when you're not used to it, you will get that gasp, you'll get that hyperventilation, which you cannot control. And so, you know, the biggest danger for new swimmers or people who are just pulled out of the water, you know, in these crazy things is that they, their head goes under and they breathe in a whole lungfuls of water. Okay. So don't jump right in the first time. So the warm up is that just, you're recommending people exercise. Like you want to raise your internal temperature. It's, you're trying to treat your body like a water bottle, basically get the inside warm up. Yeah. And, and the, the most effective way of doing it is actually to warm yourself from the inside out. So by exercise is a great way of doing it. If you just sort of warm on the surface and cold in the in the you know, the next bit and then warm in the middle, you know, that's that's actually worse than than being cold. But if you do something like, for example, as they have in the Nordic countries for many years, if you go into a sauna and you warm yourself completely through, that's fine. That's good. And you know, the the Finns particularly have been showing that for, uh, showing us that for many years. All right. So you warm yourself up. You get in the first time. You're going to get in slowly, just your body, get your body acclimated before you stick your face into the water because you don't want that those two nervous systems crisscrossing each other and you inhaling a bunch of water. How long should a swim be? Is it, you said earlier, it just depends on how cold it is. Correct. A swim, it's difficult to judge. A swim should be, it it depends on the temperature. So to get the benefits, I think think the most important thing is to know, to get the benefits, you do not have to be in very long. You need to be in as long as it takes you to get your breath back. You you have that initial gasp and hyperventilation and you feel, oh my God, this is awful. And then after a minute or so, that passes. And that is long enough. So in the middle of winter, what I suggest is maybe three minutes, put your face in three times, that's it. And yeah, you know, when it's super cold, you may not even need three minutes. Beyond that, it's how, how good you feel. And you know, the things we discussed about, you know, clawing of the hands, feeling cold, you know, get out. There's there's no virtue beyond a bit of extra exercise from staying in for a long time. Gotcha. Uh, what about warming up? Are there any protocols you recommend for warming yourself up after your cold water swim? Well, again, warming up afterwards, best done from the inside out. So, you know, do some exercise, go for a run, get on your bike. I, you know, after my swim, I get on my bike and go to a cafe and have coffee. Okay. So you warm yourself up. Is going into a sauna directly after a cold water swim okay? Because I've heard different things. Right. I think a sauna, I think, is a good thing. Again, you know, we've got so much evidence that it's perfectly safe because we the so many people have been doing it in Finland and Sweden and Norway for so many years the thing is hot air air just doesn't hold that much heat it feels warm but it doesn't hold that much heat so it's a very safe way of warming people and this is why we use it in the operating theater because it's so safe and that you know i think you've got to be more careful about a hot shower and you know, if you start with a lukewarm shower, I mean, this is how I tend to do it. I haven't got the luxury of a sauna most of the time, but you start lukewarm with a shower, that's fine. But if you start with a hot shower, you can damage your skin and things like this because the body isn't moving the blood away from the from the skin and you can damage it. You could scald yourself, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, here's a question I forgot to ask. Are there people who should maybe be careful with the cold water swims because of heart issues? I've heard that. You jump in, you have that 
that reaction and it could cause a heart attack. Is there anything to that idea? So, yes, of course, there's some people whose hearts are so bad that you just don't want to get them into cold water. But really, if you can walk down to the beach or get yourself into the swimming place and get yourself out again, you are probably fit enough to go into the water. You do, yeah, be careful if you have a heart condition, but it's a bit of a myth that it's the heart attack that kills people. It's these hyperventilation. It's getting the face under the water and not being able to hold your breath under the water. That's what, what kills most people rather than the, the stress on the heart. That stress on the heart is probably no greater than walking up two, three flights of stairs. Okay. Uh, so what if you don't have access to outdoor cold water? Can you get these same benefits by taking cold showers or ice baths? You can get the benefits, but not the same benefits. I mean, there was one shower, one study of cold showers which showed that people who took a cold shower in the morning had less sick days. The thing is, the effect from the cold comes from two main sources, as it were. There are two main determinants of it, and that is the actual temperature of the water and the rate of cooling. And in a shower, it's probably not going to be as cold. It might be, you know, it's going to be room temperature or whatever. And you, you're not immediately immersing yourself in cold water, so you don't become cold quite so quickly. An ice bath, well, yes, that will give you those benefits. But for me, it's just not as much fun unless you have a really big ice bath with lots of people jumping in and out. It's not as much fun as being with lots of uh, people jumping in and out of the sea. But yes, you would see benefits. And I think another point too, uh, besides the social benefit of swimming outdoors, like there's something about being outside that amplifies the, these benefits as well. Like there's been lots of studies done about the benefits of being outside in nature to, for depression and other sicknesses. Yeah, without a doubt. And that's, you know, I like to think of cold water swimming or outdoor swimming as a total package. It's not just about the cold. I think the cold brings you some unique benefits, but it's it's the community. It's being out in nature. We do know that's good. I mean, just a view of water brings mental health benefits, plus the exercise and everything else that you get from it. So it's, it's really not just about the cold. Okay. Uh, so, but yeah, if you can't, have access to cold water for you live in Tahiti, for example, an ice bath could you can get benefits of for the cold. Uh yeah, you you would get the the benefits of the cold. And then maybe if you did it in Tahiti, you could be looking out over the ocean in your ice bath and you get in and get out and you're warm the whole time. So fantastic. <laughs> you're living the dream. You've 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 won life if you're doing that. Well yeah, I Mark think so. <laughs> Mark, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and your work? Well, I mean, with the book, the book, go to your favorite local bookshop and order it. That's uh, that's the thing with that. I mean, I send out occasional tweets from the Wild Swim Doctor about swimming, but I think what I'd like people most to do is look at some of the work that's being done by organizations to get people out and help people find the benefits of cold water swimming. And so this is mentalhealthswims.com co.uk or chilluk.org and seashore.org are three organizations I work with who do amazing stuff, you know, really bringing access to this fantastic therapy. Well, Dr. Mark Harper, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. 
absolute pleasure for me too. Thanks for having me. My guest today is Dr. Mark Harper. He's the author of the book, Chill, The Cold Water Swim Cure. It's available on amazon.com. Make sure to check out our show notes at aom.is slash cold swim. We find links to resources where you delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles we've written over the years about pretty much anything you can think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLESS at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the strap on Android iOS so you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps out a lot. If you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, it's Brett McKay. Reminds you not to listen to the podcast, but put what you've heard into action.